Matthew 5. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, everybody. Thanks, Alexa. Thanks, uh, Gap here, for being here. Danny, for leading. It's so good to be a part of a big family. Uh, so this is the beginning. What was just read is the beginning of what some call the greatest sermon ever preached. Sermon on the Mount, so there's no pressure on me this morning. Uh, this is a big message that Jesus uh, delivered. It's stretched out over three chapters. It's going to take us a long time to get through it. <laughs> um, and it also, people say that it probably lasted more than a day. So if you struggle with 20 to 30 minutes sermon, well, Jesus would have something to say about that. When you, when you have a lot to share, it's really common to say or to hear people say, like, where do I start? You know, if you've got a big story to tell, like, where do I begin? And I love that Jesus begins the greatest sermon ever given with blessings. This is called the Beatitudes or the blessings. And there are amazing blessings that Jesus is dishing out on his followers. Those who are coming into his kingdom, those citizens, those sons and daughters of God that are coming in, that are following him in his ways. He has so many amazing blessings to give. Heaven comfort, inheritance, satisfaction, mercy. You get to be a child of God. You get to be just like Jesus. These are amazing blessings. It's like Jesus is like Oprah Winfrey. Just you get a blessing and you get a blessing. You get a blessing. And there's so many good ones in here. There's also a very specific way that we walk and we live that we receive this blessing from Jesus and classic Jesus form, it's not what we would expect. The way is not the way that we would expect to get these. You can look at a list, even a list of blessings, and you can begin to feel a little bit overwhelmed. Like, man, where do I start? How long is this going to take? Like, what, how do I do this? And I just want to remind us of last week when we were reading Matthew chapter 4, and Jesus is calling his first disciples. The requirements for following after him, it's, it's two very simple yet very weighty things. Faith and obedience, one step at a time. This is what we see with his disciples over and over again. Faith and obedience, one step at a time. Eugene Peterson, who translated the message version of the Bible, uh, his historian, uh, a, a, a father of the faith, he says this about Faith and obedience. The time-tested prescription for discipleship remains the same. A long obedience in the same direction. 
This is what it takes to follow Jesus, a long obedience in the same direction. So here's the problem that I can see right out the gates. We live in a culture that wants instant results. This is in me. This is in you. This is in all of us. We just want what we want, when we want it, how we want it, and that is right now. This applies to the gym. If you sign up and pay for the money, I want a six-pack within a week. This is what I want. If you play the stock market, you want an instant return. If you go on a diet, you want to know why that Diet Coke is not eating all the extra fat in your system. Like, I'm not giving up stuff just to just wait around for this. This is true for the lenders building. We bought the building. We've got the building. We want to be in that building. Here's what I think the Holy Spirit wants to give us perspective this morning. God is not just in results, but in the process. I'm going to say it again because I need to hear it. God's not just in results. He's in the process. Some of the most precious, profound, life-altering gifts that we get along this journey with Jesus happen right in the middle of the tough trials that we're walking through right now. Some of us, hi, some of us will give up on following Jesus because we don't look or act like Jesus right away. Like, I got baptized, I got in the water, I said yes, and I still am sinning, I can't perform miracles, like, I'm out of here. I'm done with this. Some people will give up on the church because the church doesn't look exactly like Jesus or what Jesus said it would. It's filled with judgmental people, with hypocrites. The church often will be silent when it should speak, and speak when it should be silent, and we're just out of here, over this thing. And I just want to remind us that you and I aren't Jesus. We're not called to be Jesus. That role has been filled, and forever will be. He said it's enough for a student to be like the teacher. We're called to be like him. The church isn't Jesus. We are his bride. We're his people. We're his representatives. But we are not Jesus. Jesus is Jesus. And that is like kind of simple and basic, but we need to hold on to that in the forefront of our mind. Only Jesus is Jesus. And we're learning to live by faith that he is who he says he is. We're learning to live obedient to what he commands us to do. And step by step, we are becoming exactly who he called us to be, exactly who he created us to be. The Beatitudes aren't just a, a list of like to-dos, a bunch of doing. It's actually first a list of being. Jesus is inviting us to be before we do. We are called to be citizens, sons and daughters, and when our, when our identity is secured in those things, it leads us to a life that we do things very differently now. A helpful kind of framework that I found with the Beatitudes was to think of roots that produces shoot, that produces fruit. This is kind of the process that Jesus lays out for us with the Beatitudes. You start with roots, and these roots are being poor in spirit. Mourning, being meek, this produces a shoot inside of our lives. It's a hunger and a thirst for righteousness. And when these things exist, it gives way to bear fruit, to be different, to live a life that is like Christ. We're merciful, we're pure in heart, we're peacemakers. Jesus is so kind to us. He's so kind to us. I believe he offers us steps along the way. 
He's not sitting in corporate headquarters today just tapping his finger waiting for you to get your act together. He is rooting you on and praying for you for the next step of obedience that you have an opportunity to take today. And I love that Jesus frames up this way that he calls us into, the way, the truth, and the life. I love that he frames it up with blessings. Another translation is happy. If you want to live a happy life, if you want the good, happy life, this is how he frames it up. So I want to just look at these in order because I believe it's important to walk through these in order. The first blessing that Jesus wants to dish out is the blessing of the kingdom of heaven. Come on, the perfect, peaceful, painless life. Who doesn't want that? Everybody in here wants that. Don't lie to yourself. What's the way to this? Again, it's very different. It's not by being rich in good deeds, being rich in knowledge and experience. What's the way to be poor in spirit? The way to the perfect, peaceful life of the kingdom of heaven begins with humility. Poor in spirit is really a humble spirit, a lowly spirit. We have an understanding that we are spiritually bankrupt. You are morally bankrupt. You want to do good, but you don't do good. I want to be good, but I'm not that good. We confess that we're unworthy before the presence of a perfect and holy God. If we want to live a, a, a poor in spirit life, we can never lose sight of our neediness. And we can never lose sight of God's abundance and ability. And this is terribly hard to do because we want to have an abundant and able life. We want to be in that category. We don't want to be in the needy and weak category. And it's okay if you want like to live in your own strength but that's all that you will get. For the rest of us that choose the way of Jesus, 2 Corinthians 12, 9, this becomes our framework. God says, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. And this becomes our cry. This becomes our declaration. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weakness. Why? So that Christ's power may rest on me. We start this journey with Jesus and always return to this point of a humble, poor in spirit posture. Next, what it gives way to is the blessing of comfort. God promises a blessing of comfort. Everything's going to be okay. Somebody's going to come to your aid. And what's the road? What's the way that Jesus says that we get comfort? We mourn. We mourn. Does, does the gospel ever feel kind of like boring to you? Does church ever feel kind of like dry? Like, why am I doing this? Does praise to God feel kind of flat on a Sunday morning or maybe even more so on a Monday morning when you're by yourself, not in a big tent like this? Do you ever wonder why that is? It's not because the gospel isn't good news. And it isn't because God isn't great. I would contend that it's because we're out of touch with our neediness, our lack, and our wounds that we've suffered and are living with. We struggle with rejoicing because we're out of touch with mourning. Being poor in spirit will remind us of our neediness. 
mourning will remind us of our sinfulness. It's not, it's not just because, you know, like, we're, we're, we're like, just aware of, like, we, we need, like, the good stuff. We're lacking this good way of life. But we actually, when we're mourning, we're, we're aware that we have an abundance of the wrong stuff. We've made a lot of poor decisions. We have a lot of sin in our life. And the Holy Spirit comes, and there is godly grief that comes over us that causes great mourning. There's also worldly grief that wants to sneak in there and twist things. See, worldly grief will come, and it will cause this self-pity. Woe is me. And eventually, it will lead to a self-condemnation. I will never be anything different than I am right now. I will always have this stumbling block. I will always be lowly. I will always be this. That's worldly grief. Wants to keep you chained down. Godly grief Grief that comes with the Holy Spirit, well, it comes with this hidden joy inside of it because it leads to repentance. It leads to an awareness that we have sinned and fallen short, but it instantly invites us to repent, to turn away from that. It welcomes us in with mercy and grace. And this is where godly grief will lead. If you've been stuck on the same hamster wheel of grief, I'm telling you it's not godly grief that you're running with. If you're quick to hit your knees, quick to begin to find life in Christ again, quick to find mercy and grace, that's godly grief. Matthew 26 and also in Luke 6, there's this picture, the story of a woman whose sin is great. And she shows up to this dinner party, and she is so aware of her need and her brokenness that she is instantly falling on the ground. And she brings this jar of expensive perfume and she pours it out on Jesus' feet and then begins to wash his feet with her tears and then clean his feet with her hair. How many tears do you need to cry to wash somebody's feet? A lot. Have you cried like that recently? This woman is just beside herself. And then everyone else at the party is just indignant towards her. Why? Are you doing this? Why are you wasting money? Why are you wasting your time? Why are you present why are you doing this in front of us? And Jesus stops the party and he says, What's happening is so profound and so good. Anywhere the gospel is preached, you're gonna hear about this story. Why is that? Because she has been forgiven much. And when you are forgiven much, you love much. If you're forgiven little, then you love little. Look, this woman had a terrible story before Jesus. And he's saying it is a footnote to the beautiful story that I'm going to write for the rest of eternity. Everywhere the gospel goes, this story is going. I know it feels like a lot that you've been stuck in this, but because of Jesus, you have a way better opportunity now to have your story written in a way that will make a difference, not just in your life, but everyone's life. This is the power of the gospel. This is the power of Jesus. Godly grief will lead to more love. If you have shriveled, small love inside, if you find it hard to love, especially those annoying people in your life, there may be a correlation with the lack of mourning that's going on in your life for your own sin and for the sins of others. The next blessing that comes, that Jesus says, this is for you, is an inheritance. Whew. 
Everybody wants this. Everybody wants a rich uncle that you didn't know about, that had a boatload of money, that dies, and then you get all of that money. Everybody would love that to be a part of your story. We, why? Because we want a future that's secure. You'd show up to work differently. It's like, well, it's not that big of a deal, I guess. You know, I'm going to be just fine. Thanks, Uncle Joe. Appreciate that. And Jesus is saying that an inheritance is a blessing that's for you. And the way to get this inheritance is by being meek. See, these first three blessings, they, they come with this reshaping of our heart's posture. If you're aware of your neediness and grieving your sinfulness, you are not bold, you are not brash, you are not self-assertive. No, you are humble, you are unassuming, and willing to serve. You're meek. Meek isn't weak. Meek isn't weak. I actually believe that meek is being capable or strong enough to do something, but you choose to receive help from outside. It's refusing to be the hero of your own story, which is the temptation for all of us, thanks to Hollywood and Disney, that you can be the superstar of your story. You may be able to do it this time, but you won't be able to do it every time. You will face something that's bigger than you. Meek people make a habit of allowing others to enter in and help, allowing others to be the blessing. People who constantly have the right answer or have it all together do not attract the blessing of others. You're like a porcupine. Those who are too blessed to be stressed have no, they are unaware how much stress that's putting on everybody else. Well, that's awesome that you live that kind of life. I wish that I could do that. I'm not. I'm stuck in Stressville. Monday through Sunday. Please give me your secret sauce. When we live meek lives, we attract the blessing of God's presence and God's promises and God's provision. And more often than not, he wants to use the people around us to bring those to us. As soon as we've realized our need and we've humbled ourselves, we've wept and mourned over our sin, these roots take place in our lives. It redefines who we are. We see ourselves clearly, and then a shoot is produced in our life. The shoot is a shoot of hunger and thirst for righteousness. And Jesus says those who hunger and thirst for righteousness will be satisfied. You will not be hungry or thirsty anymore. Now let's listen to this. You aren't blessed because you are righteous. You're blessed because you're starving for righteousness. You're hungering and thirsting for it. Those who hunger and thirst, they long for right living, right relationship. They crave justice. And Jesus is saying blessings on those who can't just move on, but they need to make it right what they see and come across. This isn't something, again, that comes naturally. Some of you may have like a justice bend in your life. Like you just have to get things right. Like it just bothers you. if You, you have to say something if something's off in front of you. But I'm telling you, left to yourself, it's just off. Your justice isn't true justice. It's more like preference with a lot of emotion poured onto it. 
We need roots of humility and repentance to produce a proper hunger and a proper thirst for righteousness. To want what God wants. To actually be able to pray and agree with the Holy Spirit that your kingdom come and your will be done. This is what hungering and thirsting for righteousness looks like. When the roots take place and the shoot pops up in our life and we're hungry for things to be right, we begin to bear fruit like Jesus. When this takes place, when our roots are tended to, when there's a true hunger and thirst for God to set things right in life, then we begin to live differently. We begin to be merciful. There's a blessing for those who extend mercy, who are full of it. Those who forgive as they've been forgiven. What's interesting, this fifth beatitude, it correlates with the fifth line of the Lord's Prayer that he teaches us to pray. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. The Christian life is, not a, is, is actually about receiving first and then giving second. Other religions are about giving to get something. The religion of Jesus, the way of Jesus is to receive, 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 and then that will change you when you truly receive the kingdom inside of you, and then you give and you give and you give. From a place of blessing, we're able to bless other people. What flows into our life must flow out of our life. Mercy gives way to being pure in heart. There's a blessing on those who aren't motivated by selfish ambition or man's approval, but those who serve God and others from an undivided heart. This is what happens. Your heart is the center of who you are, and there's a blessing for those who center their life on God and His ways. A pure heart a heart that's not selfish is absolutely a miracle of mercy. Mercy comes, we receive it, it flows out of us, and then it actually pressure washes the inside of our heart with all of that selfish grime that gets inside of there. We just begin to drink our own Kool-Aid and think that we're the most important thing in the world, and mercy flows in, and then we get pressure washed, and now we actually are able to be pure in heart. We're actually, our bottom line is not our own interest, but it's the interest of God, and it's the interest of other people, and we're actually able to make good on and live out the great greatest commandment, the thing that Jesus calls us to do, which is to love the Lord your God and to love others the way that you love yourself. Our hearts can be purified, and then, well, then we become peacemakers. We actually take up the family business. We bring peace between people, between nations, between political parties, especially between God and man through the gospel of peace. Peace doesn't just mean the absence of conflict. Peace means whole. To be made whole. And there's a blessing for those that get involved looking to make things whole and not more fractured. God's saying those people that look to heal and make things whole and not divided... Those are my kids. 
Now, we may be tempted to kind of jump to these last three things on this list here because they involve more like outward action. And if you're like me, you love a good checklist. You like to do, you like, you may like to do like yard work because you can start and finish and you see the results. Bam, there it is. These things come with that. Be merciful. Just be kind to people. Get the t-shirt. Do the actions. Be kind. Don't do bad things. Live with a pure heart. Stay away from that stuff. Get into this stuff. Get involved in social justice. Be a peacemaker. We can do this stuff. But we can't actually produce the real fruit of the kingdom without tending to the roots and the shoot first. It will not happen. If you're struggling with a pure heart or being active in your faith to help right wrong things, do not try harder today. Hear this. Do not try harder. Start back at the beginning with becoming poor in spirit. Do you know what the sign is for us that Jesus gives us that we're on the right track? Like this is happening, that, that the kingdom's being produced, that the blessing, the good life is, is, we're in it, right in the middle of it. He tells us at the end of the scripture, it's not that people will be attracted to you. It's not that people will love you or like you more. It's actually persecution. This is the sign that you're on the right track. Church, that you're persecuted. He says persecution for righteousness sake. Who's the righteous one? Jesus. He gives the examples of the prophets in the Old Testament. They spoke the words of God and were persecuted, hated. We are like those who speak the word of God. What is the word of God? Who is it? It's Jesus. The word of God wrapped in flesh. We don't get persecuted by loving people. We get persecuted when we say that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. The call is to follow Jesus this morning. Hear this. Your first step is to follow. Your first step is to follow. And if we want to stand with Jesus and bear his fruit, then we have to tend to our roots. 